At the young age of 12, singer Aaliyah was already pushing her way into the music industry. All she needed was a mentor to really get her career off the ground. Her uncle, Barry Hankerson, soon stepped in and introduced the young star to a person he believed would catapult her career, R. Kelly. Soon, the two started working on her debut album, Age Ain't Nothing But A Number. At just 14 years old, maybe this album title should have raised red flags, being that it was produced by then 27-year-old R. Kelly, but it didn't. As time went on, their relationship suddenly changed. No longer was it mentor-mentee, it was more than that, and it was far darker than that. As the two sat down for interviews, often draped in head-to-toe matching clothing, the questions about their relationship started to come hard and fast. Everyone seems to think that y'all are either girlfriend and boyfriend or cousins and friend. Let's get the record straight. They never seemed to answer directly, dancing around the question and offering vague responses. No, they weren't related. They were just best friends. Interviewers laughed it off. Aaliyah would avoid answering questions about her age and R. Kelly consistently commented on her shine and beauty. Okay, let's clear something up because you know I've been getting a rundown on the street. Everybody seems to think that y'all are either girlfriend or boyfriend or cousins or... <laughs> just, let's, let's just get the record straight. <laughs> well, no, we're not related at, at all. all. No, we're not. We're just very close. This is my best friend. Yeah, cool. Now, who found her in the whole wide world? Um, I found Leah. Once I got up to Detroit, I didn't have to hear her sing because she was glowing. I knew she had it as soon as she started singing that verified it. And from there... Their dynamic struck the industry and the public as odd, but no one spoke out about it. Nothing was said. Then one day, Vibe suddenly shocked everyone and published their marriage certificate. Aaliyah and R. Kelly were married. She was 15. Years later, it would come out that the R&B phenom bribed someone to change her ID to 18 so they could become legally married, but no one knew that at the time. Many just assumed he had gotten her parents' permission, but he hadn't, and they'd been married behind her parents' back. I would love to say here that like the music world was in shock. They expressed outrage and that his career was seriously derailed after marrying a 15-year-old when he was in his late 20s. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. At the time, it was just a joke. A bizarre story that was plastered on tabloids as a crazy stunt rather than the horrific warning sign of abuse happening behind the scenes that it should have been. Aaliyah wasn't seen as a victim of abuse and grooming from a whole grown ass man. She was called a Lolita, a temptress who should take all of the blame. Newspapers called her the love of Kelly's life and their marriage, which was quickly annulled, remained a running joke in the industry. And more horrifically, it remained a joke even after her tragic death at just 22 years old. Unfortunately, this was just the beginning. This was the warning sign that everyone ignored. It was the crack starting to show in the reign of terror of R. Kelly. Most remained unaware of the horrors going on in the background, but his marriage to Aaliyah wouldn't be the last time he ended up in the news cycle. No, it only gets worse from here. And it took decades for his horrifying actions to finally be brought to light and for him to at last be brought to justice. There was this terrible rumor out. Mm -hmm. What is the deal with you and R. Kelly? Are you all married or not? No, I'm not married. Um, Robert's doing his thing, I'm doing my thing. He's a great producer, a great artist who I do admire. And um, there's, there's nothing left in it. Robert has said all along 
that he believed in our system and he believes in God, and that when all the facts came out in court, he would be cleared of these terrible charges. He did not expect that it would take six and a half years. This has been a terrible ordeal for him and his family. Just enraged me, um, especially because he was here in Atlanta doing it, and Atlanta has a huge sex trafficking problem, um, and we just can't afford to be um, a safe haven for that type of behavior. So it just really kind of catalyzed me into wanting to do something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about one of the most hated men in music, R. Kelly. Please be aware that this episode will discuss instances of SA and explicit actions involving minors. So if you don't feel like you're in the right headspace at the moment to hear about these things, feel free to check out another episode. Now, R. Kelly was the it man in music almost since the day he arrived. He was charismatic and charming and brought that special je ne sais quoi to practically everything he made. It was impossible to go anywhere without hearing one of his songs. Were you sitting in church? You bet your ass you'd be hearing, I believe I can fly. Were you in the club? Well, you were likely going to hear Ignition, maybe even the remix version. He was everywhere. And in the music industry's eyes, he could do no wrong. Even his marriage to Aaliyah was treated as a joke rather than an in-your-face instance of abuse. But in the early 2000s, some people thought maybe that would change. It was a normal day, just like any other, when seemingly out of nowhere, news began circling around the music world. A sex tape, R. Kelly's sex tape, had been leaked. Only this wasn't your run-of-the-mill sex tape. It showed the singer with a girl who seemed extremely young, and it showed him urinating on her. Despite what should have been seen as an awful and readily available example of R. Kelly's abusive and pedophilic nature, it also became a running joke. All right, Al, thank you. On Wednesday, a shocking development. Police arrested a popular singer on child pornography charges. NBC's Jim Avila has it at tail. The hottest rhythm and blues singer in America, R. Kelly, the man Vibe magazine called the new millennium It Marvin seemed like Gaye. the joke would potentially die down when R. Kelly was finally arrested for child pornography in 2002. Immediately, he pled not guilty and was released on bail only to be arrested again less than a year later with even more accusations of child pornography. The second string of charges was eventually dropped on a technicality. Now, you would think that this news would, again, maybe finally, shock the industry. And maybe then it would stop people from buying his albums, at least until the end of his trial. But that's not what happened at all. While the singer was out on bail, his musical success continued to climb. His album Chocolate Factory was released just one month after his second arrest. And while the news about his arrest was widespread, his record sales didn't reflect that. In fact, the very same album sold over 500,000 copies in just one week. It would take six years for R. Kelly to finally go on trial for the accusations against him, thanks to multiple delays by both his team and the prosecution. During that time, his wife divorced him, citing physical and mental abuse. He had allegedly offered his brother $50,000 to say it was him in the video, not R. Kelly, and had multiple songs on the top of Billboard charts, all at the same time. But certainly once the trial began, something would change, but it's not the way it went. The six years gave him time to keep growing and adamantly tried to distract the public from what was really going on. And unfortunately, 
This worked wonderfully. I love R. Kelly, and I know he didn't do it. I know that's not him. He's not guilty. When the trial began, the video became the main piece of evidence. 14 jurors sat by as the 27 minute long video was played in the courtroom. And I cannot imagine how awful of an experience that must've been for jurors. And as the trial went on, witnesses were called, but the most important witness of all, the young girl allegedly in the video refused to testify. Multiple witnesses took turns approaching the court and testifying that the video did in fact show R. Kelly and a 14 year old girl, but both she and her close family refused to confirm that it was her. Years later, it would be discovered, or at least I should clarify, the claim was made that this was due to a $2 million bribe to the young girl's family paid by none other than R. Kelly himself. This would later be revealed as a staple strategy to cover up years of horrific actions. His settlement list was plentiful and the amount of money he spent to silence his accusers was astronomical. But at the time, no one knew this. All they knew was that the girl refused to testify and her immediate family, mother and father, seemed adamant that it was not her in the video. Unfortunately, this would have disastrous consequences. Five weeks after the trial started and only seven and a half hours of deliberation later, R. Kelly was acquitted of all 14 charges against him. As the verdict was read aloud, Kelly stood crying and whispering, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Now, Robert has said all along that he believed in our system and he believes in God. And that when all the facts came out in court, he would be clear to these terrible charges. He did not expect that it would take six and a half years. This has been a terrible ordeal for him and his family. And at this point, all he wants to do is move forward and try to put it- His lawyers were ecstatic and his entourage ran up to him once the jury had been dismissed to embrace him in loving and excited hugs. As the courtroom was dismissed, journalists swarmed the jurors to discuss their decision. It seemed to come out of left field. Many of them said previously that they believed he was guilty. What made them change their minds? Well, the running theme seemed to be that while they were sure it was R. Kelly in the video, they couldn't confirm the girl's identity. One juror told reporters, "'Most of us felt that maybe it was Kelly, maybe not, but nobody could agree if it was her. We had seen photos of her at other times and she seemed like a young girl it seemed like the girl on the tape was much more developed. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but something about that sentence really bothers me. I get it that she didn't testify, so it made it more difficult. But when this happened, she was literally a child. It's understandable that maybe she didn't want to relive her trauma, but there were 14 other people that knew her well that said it was her. So why did that mean nothing? I think it says a lot to me from our justice system and the protections given to abusers after hearing that from 14 witnesses and watching the video and people still found him not guilty. Money and success will certainly buy freedom and cause people to turn their eyes away. And unfortunately, we have watched this happen over and over again. And this shit is exhausting. Either way, the singer was unbelievably victorious. He thanked his fans for sticking with him and upon leaving the courtroom, hugged women that had shockingly lined up to support him for the length of the trial. I can't help but wonder that if this trial had a different outcome, maybe we wouldn't be where we are today. Maybe countless women and girls wouldn't have to face the trauma that they did. And maybe, just maybe, the appalling story of R. Kelly would have ended right here. But sadly, that's not what happened. Instead, he was once again free, free of suspicion, 
free of ridicule, and free to do whatever the hell he wanted with limited oversight from the public. So what could possibly go wrong by letting a man who was literally caught on video being free to do whatever he wanted without people watching again? But as the Time's Up and the Me Too movements began to take shape internationally, the shocking truth of what he had been up to since the end of his trial began to come out. And it was way worse than anyone could have imagined. In 2015, Jay and her husband, Tim, took their young daughter, who was only 19 years old, to meet the massively successful and famous R&B star, R. Kelly. At first, they were thrilled. They were all fans and going to his concert was exciting and thrilling. Their daughter wanted nothing more than to be a singer. And after getting the chance to meet the recording artist backstage, he agreed to work with her. It was a dream come true. Jay had always been an R. Kelly fan and hearing him say he would help her daughter with her career seemed like the best news in the world at the time. Sure, she had heard the rumors about sexual misconduct accusations, but she wasn't overly concerned. She knew she could protect her daughter and told Buzzfeed News, in the back of our minds, we were thinking my daughter could be around him if I was with her. It didn't really hit home. But soon the worst happened. Suddenly their daughter became obsessed It was far from a super fan situation and it quickly became dangerous. Her daughter disappeared from their lives with their only communication taking place over the phone or in short, inconsistent visits. She was seemingly brainwashed. She didn't come home for Christmas. She never talked to them. And she lied about meeting Kelly on her own. It's every parent's worst fear. It seemed that all hope for her daughter was lost. And as soon as Jay and Tim kept digging, they found the shocking truth. It seemed their daughter had been brainwashed into joining a cult run by no other than R. Kelly. This was the first time this news would be released to the public. The BuzzFeed article featuring the stories of Jay, Tim, and their daughter, along with other women that had successfully escaped the grasp of Kelly's control, brought the cult to the public eye. It shocked the world. But at this point, it was all just in black and white. There weren't faces to pair with the stories, no way to see the true trauma of the experience in their eyes. So while the world displayed shock, nothing seemed to be done. That is, until the group Mute R. Kelly began to step in. All of the things that he had been doing over the years since I was 15, 16 years old, um, and it just enraged me, Um, especially because he was here in Atlanta doing it, and Atlanta has a huge sex trafficking problem, um, and we just can't afford to be Um, a safe haven for that type of behavior. So it just really kind of catalyzed me into wanting to do something. Um, And I wasn't sure what it was I wanted to do. I'm not an activist. Um, I've never done anything like this before. Um, I just was so enraged. I felt like I just had to do something. So I started a petition to get him off the radio in Atlanta, real humble. It was 2017 and two women, Oranike Odele and Kenyette Tisha Barnes had met in a coffee shop. It was shortly after the release of the groundbreaking article, and they were both heartsick over the recent accusations they had heard. After talking for a while, they decided something had to be done. It wasn't the first time activists had spoken out about R. Kelly, but they would do it bigger. And it just so happened their organization came out at the exact right time, right smack dab in the middle of the Time's Up movement. At first, it started small. They were just trying to cancel his concert in Atlanta, Georgia, their town. But soon it grew and it grew fast. What started with two women turned into 15 different chapters around the world. People were calling their local radio stations, protesting concert venues and standing outside of his recording studio. 
While the movement was growing and their commitment was unwavering, they didn't seem to be making much headway at first. They managed to get a few of his concerts canceled with their protest, but getting his recording label to drop him or Spotify to pull his music proved to be difficult. But that would all change soon. In January, 2019, Lifetime released one of the most heartbreaking, horrific, and haunting documentaries in recent history, Surviving R. Kelly. There's a difference between R. Kelly and Robert. R. Kelly is this fun, laughing, loving guy, but Robert is the devil. Is the devil. Shame on you! Shame on you! Shame on you! Milk R. Kelly! The first four hours of the groundbreaking documentary started with what we know, the marriage to Aaliyah, the child pornography case, and the other accusations that had been stifled by non-disclosure agreements and undisclosed settlements. But the three-night event immediately appalled its viewers with the release of the last two episodes detailing the atrocious actions of R. Kelly through the strong and honest storytelling of the survivors of his abuse. As the hours dragged on, every story just got more and more heartbreaking. The news of the cult, originally written in black and white by BuzzFeed, now had faces to names. Viewers could see the hurt in their eyes. They could see the pain. One of the most impactful moments came with the story of Dominique Gardner, a woman who had been convinced to live with Kelly and was persuaded by him to cut her hair and dress in men's clothing. Her mother also appeared on the screen, telling her story along with a former employee. The employee who remained anonymous told the interviewers, there was a staff member who tried to help Dominique. It was a situation where Dominique expressed how she was being mistreated. To Robert, Dominique is the rebellious one. She stays in trouble. She's a little tomboy and Robert plays on that. Dominique's mother is often the unsung hero of the whole story. Heartbroken and angry about the situation her daughter was now in, she devised a plan to get her out. She found her daughter, went to the hotel and met her in her room. Seeing her mom seemed to overtake Dominique. A few hours after her mother left the hotel, she called her back. She wanted to come home. Together, the two women ran from the hotel, escaping to the car. And Dominique would say it was the hardest decision she had to make. And that was like the hardest decision I had to make because of course I love Rob, but then again, I knew that the situation wasn't good. Then there was Geronda Pace. She had met R. Kelly back in his trial in 2008 and soon at only 16 years old, she was living with him. While there, she suffered abuse from Kelly. She recounts a story of him choking her and slapping her. She was kept away from her family and her whole life was controlled. She and Dominique had actually been friends. And while she knew Dominique was living in the same house, they were prevented from ever seeing each other. In secret, they tried to meet up, but their plans were always foiled by either Rob or other women living in the house. One day, Geronda was finally able to escape the horrific nightmare. She turned her phone off, left the house and never looked back. But for others, the nightmare continued. Callie would control the women's entire life. They were required to ask permission to use the bathroom and to eat and suffered mental, physical, and sexual abuse at the hands of Kelly. Many of them felt trapped. And when they first met him, he told them he loved them. He promised to make many of their dreams come true. But soon a switch flipped with him 
and he would begin with the training of the women. They couldn't watch TV without him in the room. They were punished for speaking out. This often entailed them being confined to a room for several days. It could also include the silent treatment from R. Kelly and the denial of food. What these women faced was nothing short of torture. But what made the documentary even harder to watch was the acknowledgement that other people knew what was going on. His employees, or at least some of them, knew what was happening. An anonymous employee said at first that they judged them. Instead of judging Kelly, he was judging the women he was abusing. And unfortunately, this seems all too common in our society. We victim blame instead of blaming the perpetrators. And this is why survivors are often silenced. Speaking out about abuse and trauma is always difficult, but speaking out about terrible experiences that were perpetuated by one of the biggest music stars in recent history, on national TV no less, is a whole different story. I can't imagine the strength that it took and all of these women have every ounce of my admiration and respect for what they did. Now, as you can probably guess, going public with these accusations came with an abundance of notoriety and not the good kind. The screening of the documentary back in December was interrupted when it was evacuated after Kelly's manager allegedly called the theater saying someone had a gun. But not only did this person have a gun, but this person was planning to fire on the crowd watching. And for the record, he's now facing trial for this incident. As the first episode aired, it became the highest rated Lifetime show ever with 1.9 million viewers. Everywhere you looked, people were talking about this documentary. It was a mix of I told you so and shock. The rawness and truth of the documentary were certainly triggering to survivors all over the world. Almost immediately, sexual assault hotlines were flooded with calls, but many survivors also turned to Twitter to warn others of the triggering aspect of the documentary, but also to say it was something that had to be seen. Watching that documentary is beyond difficult. I can't imagine how difficult it was to make, but it was something that had to be made and had to be presented to the world. And it did just that. While the Mute R. Kelly group struggled in the beginning, they certainly weren't struggling to get his shit silenced anymore. Soon, radio stations were announcing that they would no longer play his music. Spotify muted his music, keeping it on the platform, but not recommending it. And eventually his record label, Sony and RCA Records dropped him. Of course, there were negative side effects from the documentary too. While Twitter erupted in loving and supportive comments for the women, it also erupted with hate. His music was listened to more on YouTube and other streaming sources far more after the documentary than it had been in literal decades. But even with all of the bad, there is no question that surviving R. Kelly was a pivotal moment in the terrifying saga of R. Kelly. That became abundantly clear when finally, this monster of a man was arrested. Now, I'm gonna go ahead and place today's sponsor episodes right here because truthfully, I also need a moment to clear my head and not think about everything that we had to research for just a moment and take a break before we continue on to talk about the trial of R. Kelly. So with that being said, here are today's sponsors. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offered premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, well, where's the catch? 
But after talking to them and using their service for about two years now, it all made sense. There simply isn't one. Mint Mobile is the first company to sell wireless service online only. And because they don't have the cost of retail stores, they can pass those sweet savings on to you. I save something close to, I think about 70 to $90 a month by having my phone plan with Mint. And that's not an over-exaggeration. That's legit. If you guys know what a standard phone plan costs versus like Mint Mobile starting at 15 bucks. And I upgraded to do the $30 a month one, which is like the unlimited everything. Um, I save so much money and my service is still phenomenal. And what's great about Mint Mobile is you can keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Or if you wanna do what I did, you can change all of that up. Get a new phone, new phone number, new contacts. Don't keep anyone you don't wanna keep anymore and just move on. That's what I did at least. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, make sure you go to mintmobile.com casket. That's mintmobile.com casket. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com casket. They are still talking about you with underage girls. Have you ever had sex no. with anyone under the age of 17? No. Never. Is this camera on me? Yes. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me. I'm fighting for my I didn't do this stuff. This is not me. Those were R. Kelly's words in a bizarre interview with Gail King shortly after the release of the documentary. He was completely unhinged, standing up, screaming, crying, and then going right back to smiling and trying to be charismatic. I'm sure he wanted to use the interview as a way to prove his innocence, but to the public, it seemed to do just the opposite. It didn't take long for R. Kelly's life to come crashing down. In February, just one month later, he was charged with 10 counts of sexual abuse. Then in July, while outside walking his dog in New York, he was arrested by the New York police. This time, the indictment went far beyond just sexual abuse. The New York indictment included racketeering and violating the Mann Act, transporting people across state lines for the purpose of prostitution. And this wasn't just one case against him anymore. He had been labeled as the leader of an enterprise, an enterprise that employed his managers, bodyguards, drivers, and members of his entourage in recruiting women and girls into his sex cult. This time, it seemed like things would finally be different. Two law enforcement sources tell NBC News, a spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago telling USA Today, a federal grand jury has indicted Kelly on 13 counts, including child pornography, enticement of a minor, and obstruction of justice. The trial would reveal the scarring details of Kelly's decades of abuse. It was two months long, and while COVID-19 was running rampant, it proceeded under strict protocols. Over the course of those two months, there would be 45 government witnesses, 10 victims, testimonies from his employees, and a slew of photographs, texts, video, and audio displaying his abuse. As each new witness came to stand and testify, the stories just became more and more horrific. Kelly had required all of the women to call him daddy. If they ever traveled without him, they were required to wear baggy clothing. Never under any circumstance could they talk to other men. Most of the women recounted stories of him forcing them to engage in sex with him and others, many of which were recorded. 
Then the news came to light that he had not only abused and groomed young women, but he had also been doing this to young men and forcing his girlfriends to have sex with them on multiple occasions. Soon, the story of Aaliyah and R. Kelly's marriage finally came back into the limelight. And it was here that it was confirmed that he had bribed a public official to change her birth date. The marriage, which at one point was treated as a bizarre but not concerning moment in pop culture, was now acknowledged to be the terrifying and manipulative action that it always was. It turns out he had married her because he thought she was pregnant and thought marriage could keep him out of jail. And just as a reminder, she was 15 years old. Just keep that in mind, she was 15. After the two months of painful testimonies were finally over, the day was here. On September 27th, 2021, R. Kelly was convicted. He was the leader of a criminal enterprise. He had terrorized and traumatized young girls and women, and he had done it throughout the entire length of his career. As the news of the conviction came down, the US attorney said, Today's guilty verdict forever brands R. Kelly as a predator who used his fame and fortune to prey on the young, the vulnerable, and the voiceless for his own sexual gratification. To the victims in this case, your voices were heard and justice was finally served. For many, the conviction caused an overflow of emotion. There was relief that after nearly 30 years of this nightmare, he would finally face some justice, but then came the anger and the sadness that it took this long. For some, this was just the beginning of an even bigger conversation. Yes, there was finally a semblance of justice, but there was still a question as to why and how this happened in the first place. It was not missed that most, if not all of his victims were black girls and black women, that their pleas for help had been ignored and that this unfortunately was a common trend in our society. Kenyette Barnes told Rolling Stone, we can stay in a space of anger knowing that this happened for over three decades and nothing happened. But what this verdict shows us is that black girls matter, that black young bodies have agency and they deserve protection and deserve to be validated when they tell us horrific shit happens to them. After nearly 10 months of delays, his sentence was finally handed down in June of 2022. The 55 year old would face 30 years in prison for his actions he will likely remain there until the end of his miserable, putrid life. But before his sentence was read, the survivors finally got to speak directly to him. Some spoke to tell him that they were finally reclaiming their names. Others told him how he had destroyed their lives and an unnamed victim turned to him saying, you made me do things that broke my spirit. I literally wished I would die because of how low you made me feel. Do you remember that? Literally nothing will be able to change what these women have gone through, what R. Kelly put them through, but hopefully this can be an important step in their healing process. But this isn't the end for R. Kelly. And that's because he faces additional charges in Chicago with that trial starting in August, sometime right now, and solicitation charges in Minnesota are coming up next. And so the saga continues. The horrors of his actions can never be erased people will likely never forget this story. And unfortunately, the survivors of this nightmare are left picking up the pieces while the public looks on. Sadly, there is no happy ending here, but at least the horrific ordeal is finally over. At least he is facing the consequences of his actions. Now, today's episode is by no means a complete recount of his 30 years of abuse. 
I would recommend watching the Surviving R. Kelly documentary if you have not yet for the full story. But I do have to warn you, it is, it's really hard to watch. But for now, the world will keep watching to see what comes next in the upcoming trials. But no matter what, he's off the streets, his resources are gone, and he will never have the opportunity to do this again. So to keep this short and sweet, this is where we're ending today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Then a Brooklyn judge throws the book at singer R. Kelly, giving him 30 years behind bars. A jury found the singer guilty last September of racketeering and sex trafficking. The trial was seen as a signature moment of the Me Too movement. CBS 2's Alice Gaynor live at the Brooklyn Federal Courthouse with the D. Kelly had no reaction as that 30-year sentence was handed down. The 55-year-old declined to speak in court, citing pending...